Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast, brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm excited to be joined today by Carol Myers, partner at Glasswing Ventures. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here today. So you're here today to discuss why more venture capital groups are starting to invest in companies who have customer love at the heart of their business. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners? Sure, absolutely. So uh, as you said, I am a a partner at a venture capital firm, but I've only been doing that for about three years. And prior to that, I was a chief marketing officer and a VP of sales at various tech companies, selling everything from networking equipment to marketing solutions to cybersecurity. Um, So very familiar with the importance of customer love from that side of things as well. Excellent. Look forward to diving in with that in a little bit more detail shortly. Um, Now, traditional on the show to get things kicked off, I'd love for you to share a time recently where as a consumer, you experienced customer love firsthand and really what impact that had on you as a consumer. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have a lot of stories about different things that I loved as products and I often would call them life-changing. So I thought the Blackberry was life-changing. People might think I would say the um, iPhone, that too. But, you know, for a while it was the Blackberry. I actually thought Zoom was life-changing. But very recently, um, on a more personal note, I was invited to speak at a an event last fall And it was held at a place called Miraval in Austin, Texas. And I fell in love with the place. I just thought that the way they uh, created an experience for the people who were there was phenomenal. And so I ended up taking my entire family to the Miraval in the Berkshires here in Massachusetts last November for Thanksgiving. Um, And... They fell in love with it. And so they're always talking about when am I going to take them back again? But it's very expensive, I will say. But I did fall in love. And I just think they created such an amazing experience. And I constantly tell other people about it and, and recommend that they try it. That's brilliant. What kind of things are they doing out of interest to invoke such a response? Yes, it's it's a very much a retreat. It's all in one. They have all kinds of activities. So you can really give yourself a lot of self-care and fully, fully relax. They even give you a little bed for your cell phone. (laughs) So Put your cell phone away, unplug, do yoga, try archery, make pottery, run, you know, whatever it is that you want to do that'll help you feel healthier. And um, it's so amazing. And you're so encouraged without being heavy handed to unplug and put your cell phone away that you end up, I think, doing more of it and really relaxing and enjoying your vacation, which I can say for myself, I don't always do that. 
I love how out of all of those things, the first thing that you mentioned was a bed for your phone. Which, <laughs> firstly, it's the first time I've ever heard of anything like that. And secondly, out of all the kind of amazing things you listed, it's just funny that that was the first one that, that you mentioned. But um, that sounds very good. It sounds like they've really thought through everything. Um, and obviously the effect of that from you going to the event was that you've now gone with your family as well. And they'll probably be telling people about the uh, the hotel as well. So right. fabulous example there. Thank you, Carol. Yeah, sure. So as we alluded to in the introduction, you're a partner at Venture Capital Group. Would you mind sharing some of the insights around the process that VC groups tend to take when they're looking to invest in a company? Yes, happy to. And each firm has its own investment thesis style guidelines. But I think there are some things that are are fairly generalizable to uh, us overall as an industry. And at Glasswing, we focus on early stage, so pre-seed and seed stage investing, and are focused fully on founders who are leveraging AI or other kinds of frontier tech to transform industries with B2B SaaS. Um, So, and it's important to set that context because one of the first parts of our process is to make sure whomever we're talking to fits into that thesis. And that's true for a lot of venture firms. A lot of the really large firms may have several um, thesis, but you know, if you're going to go get money from someone, you want to be fitting into what it is they are focused on and what they're what they're trying to invest in. Um, and you know, and then there are other venture firms who also only invest once you have more meaningful revenue. And I'll, I'll talk about that and just how that makes a little bit of a difference. But essentially, we follow a similar process, right? So the first is. Does the company fit our investment thesis and style? Is it at the right stage? Is it focused on the right kinds of uh, products or services that it's creating? And then we look at um, assessing whether or not the product or the service is addressing a real and urgent problem for customers, right? One that customers will be motivated to solve or to buy, um, which, you know, even in, in B2C, you're kind of solving problems for people when you're creating, you're creating products for them. Um, and then we look at how big is that market? How many people have this problem? How large of a company do we think this can be? And that's called the total addressable market. And of course, you, you narrow that down to what we call um, the accessible market, right, which is Maybe I can't serve that whole market, but there's a certain portion of it again. So we're looking to see, does it solve a real problem? How big is that market? Because if it doesn't get big enough, then we're not going to be able to really make money off the investment. And then we conduct due diligence. And there we're doing due diligence on the founders and the product. We need to be confident that the founders themselves are capable, committed, tenacious. There's lots of ups and downs, um, that they operate with a high degree of integrity uh, we look for founders who are also very visionary and, um, you know, unwavering, but can learn and adapt and pivot as as needed. And then we look for defensible differentiation in the product or the go-to-market. How are we going to make a sustaining business? And then the thing that's a little bit different um, for other venture firms, since we invest so early, is we're investing very often pre-revenue, but venture firms who are investing post-revenue series A, B, C, you know, whatever, they're starting to look at things like what exactly is your go-to-market? How efficient is your go-to-market? What's your um, 
customer acquisition costs, your lifetime value of a customer, what are your renewal rates, what are your upsell rates, these kinds of things to start to assess how good they think a particular business is and whether or not it's worthy of the investment. Very interesting uh, and unsurprisingly a very thorough process there. Interesting too that you do as much due diligence on the founders themselves as well as the product or service. Um, so we spoke a few weeks ago about the fact that more VC groups are now looking to invest in what you described as referable companies with high retention rates and not just those companies bringing lots of net new customers. I'd love if you could define what a referral company is and why you think there's more of a focus on these types of companies from a VC perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we were just talking about what venture people are looking for, it's they are looking at the founders, the product, and that go-to-market. And this idea of being a referable customer or one that is um, renewing and staying with you and perhaps buying more becomes incredibly important because it tells you a couple of things. It tells you how good is the product and how defensible is the product because if whatever you're offering, whether it's a product or it's a service, is not really meeting the expectations of the customer, they're going to go find something else, right? So they're going to to move on. So it's a very strong indicator of how good of a product or a service is this company building if their customers are staying with them? Is the customer getting value out of it? Um, and then if you get to the point of customer love, where customers are recommending your product or service to other people, now you've got a business that's going to grow quickly and grow cost effectively, which is really important. I think what we've seen in the even in the public markets and, um, and in the private markets as well is much more of a push towards uh, efficiency versus growth at all costs uh, that we saw earlier on. And part of being efficient is having a product or a service that customers truly getting value out of, truly love, are going to continue to use and buy, are going to recommend to other people. That's how you're going to build a strong, sustainable business. If you've got high growth of new customers, you know, that's fabulous. Um, but if you can't retain them, then you're going to have a very costly go-to-market model and an unsustainable business because you're going to start at some point, you know, your growth is going to slow. You're going to have one as many new customers as you possibly can. And if they're leaving you at the back end, you know, you don't have a sustainable business. You don't have a base there. Eventually you can't grow anymore because you just can't keep filling the bucket of the people who are leaving you and not staying with you and buying more from you. So that's become a really important realization. And so it, and it's wrapped up into what is your customer acquisition cost? What is your lifetime value? If you want those two things to be good, a low cost and a high value, the only way you get there is with amazing retention, what we call net um, dollar retention. So upsell, cross-sell, and um, the huge bonus, the thing that's really going to accelerate your business is customers who love you and are telling other people about you. Yeah, and I can certainly recognize what you were just saying there, the the shift, I suppose, post-COVID from companies that were, as you said, grow at all costs to now the focus being a lot more on sustainability and profitability long term, which might be, I suppose, going against the grain of um, what a lot of businesses are thinking, certainly at the kind of the board yeah. level. And I'm sure you can share that in a bit more detail. But um, yeah, it's certainly a trend that you know I'm recognizing from from speaking to customer leaders as well. So it's, it's interesting that you, you bring that up. 
Yeah. Um, and you started to mention some of the, the metrics that you would use to determine um, the, the sustainability and profitability of a, of a company by how many customers they're, they're obviously keeping and, um, and getting them to refer their friends. Could you share maybe some of the other metrics that you're, you're looking at as well? Yeah, so the main ones really are the gross renewal rate, which is um, how much of my dollars that I sold each month or year, however you're measuring it, am I retaining? Um, I also really encourage people to look at not only the dollars, but also the number of customers. Uh, because if I'm losing customers, either at the high end or the low end or something like that, it, it's telling me something about my product and its fit to different market segments. We look at things like the net dollar retention. So that's not just how many people are renewing, but how many are buying more from us and, and how is that impacting us? Uh, NPS scores or customer satisfaction scores, they don't tell the whole story. You know, really making sure customers are staying with you is the most important, but it's another indicator that um, can be really important. And I think where um, people struggle a lot is on the measuring of the referral. How do I measure that? You know, how do I measure that? Uh, when I was at Log Me In, we didn't have a, a cut and dried way of doing it, but we had put together some models to help us look at what was the value of a free user of our product. Um, because, you know, one measure, of course, is if you guys are familiar with uh, product-led growth or a freemium model, if someone uses the product for free and then they're willing to pay for additional features that you offer only under a paid plan, that's one way you get value from people who are using your product for free. But we had a sense and we were able to build some models that helped us that free users, even if they didn't necessarily end up buying the paid version, maybe the free using, free version was good enough for their own needs, often recommended us to other people. And when they did that, some of those would end up being paid users. So there was a there was another great benefit to them that we wanted to make sure we were capturing. And that's not always easy for every every business. I think you guys try, are striving with your software to help make that um, better for people. And I think that's really important because it's such a growth um, factor is to be able to have excellent referral rates, and then be able to measure it so you can figure out what are the things that are working for you. And I know that you're very much coming at this from a, from a B2B lens, but everything you're saying there to me is, is totally transferable to the B2C world as well, right? Yes, very much so, very much so. If you just think about what you buy, right? Most of the things I buy, I ask someone else. What are you using? What do you like? Uh, what do you recommend? Um, I, I look for reviews, right? That people are writing about products. And, and that's very true in B2B as well. It's something I don't think um, many people think about. They think, oh, it's a very scientific approach. They, the business customers look at the features and benefits of a product and they check them off and then they buy the best product. But really a lot of how it starts is by asking other chief information security officers or other accountants or whomever it might be, what are you doing about this problem? How are you solving it? And what products are you using? Um, and that's the thing that companies need to better capture because if they're not one of the products being recommended, they're going to have a, a much uh, tougher battle winning new customers over the, the products that are being recommended. 
it always makes me laugh when um, you think about going into a B2B setting and all of a sudden people's emotions just get shut off. It's like you're still the same person, consumers you were when you're not at work. Um, but somehow we feel that the emotions are completely taken out of it. But to your point, it's, you know, you're exactly the same. Aren't you? <laughs> um, and I'd love if, if you could maybe share some examples of um, potentially businesses that, that you've invested in or, or you've heard about that have been invested in where you saw them successfully growing through their biggest advocates and what they were able to kind of achieve off the back of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I will say, um, you know, a couple, I, one of the, one of the companies we're invested in is a company called um, Reprise that makes a demo software. And that's something where, you know, I have so many stories of people who told other people, you should look at Reprise, you should look at Reprise, you should look at Reprise. And that's really helping to fuel their growth rates. They're one of the fastest growing uh, companies in our portfolio and certainly have had a super fast growth compared to other um, startups at a similar stage. Um, Atlassian is a famous you know, company for this with their Jira software. I remember back again when I was at LogMeIn, that was the first time I heard of Jira and everyone, I suddenly I my ears perked up and I saw everyone was talking about it and recommending it to all of their developer friends. Hey, you should be using Jira and inviting them in. So there's sort of a classic example um, of that. And in fact, I'm also a member of a something called the Freedom Boat Club, <laughs> Uh which uh, is a way to be able to use a boat, but not have to own it and worry about taking care of it every year. You just go and use it as you will. And I joined that uh, through referral. And in fact, uh, many people I know, it's the same thing. They're, they hear about it from uh, other members of the club and they they end up joining once they hear about what an easy way it is to have access to a boat. So, so many great examples. And, you know, the companies that have that, like if you look at something like Atlassian, amazing growth, amazing metrics as well in terms of doing that more efficiently than other businesses. The other interesting thing I think about Atlassian as well, I've got a few friends, funnily enough, that work there. And they're always saying how great the employee experience is there as well. And I think they're always, they're always pretty highly ranked in terms of places to work anywhere in the world. And I think that's probably a, a good sign of what they're doing. And, um, you know, we have a lot of guests coming on here talking about the fact that before you can nail your customer experience, you need to be nailing your employee experience first because they're the ones that are obviously delivering that great customer experience. So it sounds like Atlassian have, have really, uh, you know, nailed both of those elements. Yeah, I, I think that um, very often a company's brand and their culture go very hand in hand. Yeah, I totally agree. Um Carol, we've covered some amazing ground today. Um, just in closing, you obviously work very closely with, with CEOs and founders. What advice would you give to marketing leaders, whether that's um, you know head of marketing, customer experience managers, et cetera, who really want to get their company to focus on and invest more in customer love? Yeah, I think it gets down to getting to know your data looking at things like your NPS, looking at your positive reviews, um, gathering information at the time of first engagement with a customer or a prospect to understand if they were influenced by a referral. You know, is that driving uh, what we're doing? I think sometimes 
marketers shy away from that because then they feel like it wasn't their job. They, it wasn't what they did. <laughs> it wasn't their clever marketing that got the customer interested. It was just an amazing product and experience with the company. And I think that it's really important for marketers to just lean into that and help the whole company understand the importance of it and be able to demonstrate through the data, through the numbers, through the customer stories themselves about how important and powerful this is. Because when you've got that, you will be able to show lower customer acquisition costs. You will be able to show a, a higher lifetime value of the customer. Put those two together and you've got a successful business. So I think it's important for marketers to figure out how can we show the rest of the company the power, you know, the power of this um, strength of referral, which only comes when companies really love your product, really love the service that you give them and find it, it just need, meets their needs better than anything else out there, usually going above and beyond maybe what they were even expecting. Carol, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it was fun. Thank you. You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.